that's why at the moment, $38 Australian, it's it, it's great. It's at the top end of the band that it's been trading at over the last few years. So if you've been stacking since 2020, 2021, 2022, then chances are that you would be up on your average price. Well, hello there, my friends. Chris Marcus here with you for Arcadia Economics and excited because we are going to be digging back into some of the precious metals and economic related events that are going on right now. Although, fortunately, today we're going to have a little bit of a different twist on things because Sam Lawry from Adams Bullion over in Australia is joining me on the show. And obviously, we discuss it from an American perspective quite frequently here, although Looking forward to getting his input and seeing a bit more of an international perspective on silver, the Federal Reserve, some of the currency moves that are going on. And Sam is partners with the legendary John Adams, who has opened his own bullion store over there in Australia. And Sam is a partner and has kindly made some time to join us today. So, Sam, great to uh, meet you and have you in here on the show. Looking forward to talking about the markets. And how's everything going with you today, my friend? Thanks, Chris. It's awesome to be here. I've been watching your show for years, so it's fantastic to be on here with you today. And uh, yeah, I'm a big fan of your work, obviously. Um, yeah, it's 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 a great time to be a silver stacker here in Australia, which we'll, we'll get more into in the in the interview, of course. But yeah, great to be here today. Well, it's a pleasure to have you, especially because for you, silver is thirty eight dollars today, which. Uh, I was thinking about that right before we hit record, where if you if you told $38 silver to most American silver owners, that would certainly make them smile quite a bit. You're experiencing it already. Obviously, I'm talking about silver priced in the Australian dollar, where here we can see uh, it's gotten up to that $38 Australian level. Uh, but curious, uh, what what is the perspective of silver maybe just in a broader sense among Australians, obviously we have a long history of silver in the currency here in the U.S., but maybe even before we dig into price levels and some of the activity over the last year, um, how are Australians viewing silver at this point? Yeah, so in terms of how Australians look at silver, broadly speaking, it is quite similar to the Americans and the Brits. Um, obviously, you guys have silver in, in, in your currency throughout history, not at the moment, but throughout history. We're the same. Um, the last time that we had silver in our money was 1966 here in Australia. We had some 50 cent pieces that were made that were 80% silver. You can still buy them today at bullion dealers. Of course, you pay a bit more than 50 cents each for them. Um, but we do have that monetary history with silver. And I guess beyond the, the similarities of, of you know, how the Brits and the Americans do view silver, um, we've we've got this, uh, the 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 currency aspect of it. So the Australian dollar against the US dollar. Obviously, all the Americans, you guys just think of the US dollar price. But for Australians, it's a combination of the US dollar price and then the Australian dollar against the US dollar. So that's why at the moment, thirty eight dollars Australian. It's it, it's great. It's at the top end of the band that it's been trading at over the last few years. So if you've been stacking since 2020, 2021, 2022, then chances are that you would be up on your average price, um, which is obviously fantastic for silver stackers. You know, you feel like you're doing the right sort of thing there. Um, but a lot of that's due to the Australian dollar really coming off against the US dollar. So, you know, we've, we've been as high as over parity with the US dollar before, where one Australian dollar would equal one US dollar. But at the moment, we're floating around 64 cents. So, you know, one Australian dollar buys you 64 US cents. 
So, you know, that's that's why our Australian dollar silver price is looking so great at the moment is because our, our Aussie dollar is not looking great at the moment. Um, so that's kind of the, the unique perspective from the Australian market on it. Yeah, I can imagine. And I will pull the this is the 10 year chart price in Australian dollars. Obviously, uh, here in the U.S., uh, sentiment in the metals, even on the gold side, where we're not all that far off from the all time high. Certainly silver a bit lower, and we'll leave aside the uh, silver mining stocks for now, which have gotten clobbered over the past year, gold gold mining stocks as well. So sentiment in those areas is pretty down. We've had a rally over the last week and a half or so, so that's changed the tone among the silver investors a little bit. But like you said, different, different picture for uh, Australians. In uh, July of 2020, uh, when we had that peak close to $29 here in the U.S., it's like you guys got above 38. And but in general, the the degree to which silver, pr- probably a much different view of how people are feeling about it this at this current point in time, given that you have had a significant rise and you're near the highs of this current cycle. There. Yep, yep, and it's funny you say that about about mining stocks as well. Because, I mean, here in Australia, our mining sector has been quite badly beaten as well. You know, yes, the Australian silver price is looking good, but the Australian silver mining stocks are not. Gold stocks as well. So it's interesting seeing the the metal price rally like it has and seeing miners still not doing too well. It's it's really interesting to watch. Really interesting. And another thing I did want to ask you about is the central banking divergence. Obviously, Australian Central Bank also been raising interest rates over the past year. So you've had a, a similar height raking policy as to what we've experienced here in the Fed. Are, are the Australians still looking back at the Fed, though, as directing the show? And are most Australians thinking, all right, they have it under control and there's no cause for concern? Or is there concern among what they're seeing out of the U.S.? in terms of monetary policy and some of the issues that are going on that flow to some degree to, to you guys as well. Yeah. So there's, there's, there's a few, I guess, um, key differences between the the U S and the, and the Australian financial system. So, but, but absolutely you're right that the, the U S is running the show. We just kind of have to follow along. Um, you know, if the U S raises their rates really quickly, the federal reserve, then if we don't raise our interest rates quickly as well, the carry trade, which we can discuss later on, really it, it starts to, to really work against us. Um, so for those, for that reason, we do kind of have to, follow along with what the U.S. is doing with the world's reserve currency. Um, But I suppose the key difference between the U.S. financial system and the Australian financial system that I think, you know, investors need to be aware of is that in the U.S., most of your mortgages seem to be fixed rate mortgages. You know, when you go for for a mortgage, you, you fix it for the entire length of the mortgage. Here in Australia, that is absolutely not the case. When you go for a mortgage here in Australia, most of the time, the vast majority of the time, it's a floating rate mortgage. It'll move with interest rates. Um, and if you want to fix your rate, yes, they'll let you do it. But a lot of the time, the longest they'll let you fix it for is, you know, three to five years sort of thing. And then once once that time is up, you're back onto the rolling, you know, the, the, the floating interest rate again, which, you know, wherever that may be at the time. And of course, they'll charge you a premium to lock your interest rate as well. So, you know, I think that's a that's a real key difference to to think about between, you know, Americans and Australians where, you know, Americans have had the the 
the, the weird phenomenon where they feel trapped in their mortgage, where, you know, they can't move, they can't sell their house because, you know, the buyer will have to have a, a mortgage at the new rate. And if they sell their house and buy another one, well, then they have to basically double the rate that they're paying. So they're trapped in their house. But Australians, we don't have that. You know, our, our mortgages are being constantly adjusted up with interest rates. You know, it doesn't matter whether we live here or there. It doesn't matter whether we sell up, get a new one. You know, we'll, we'll be paying the, the the market rate of interest at the time. Um, and the effect that that's having on the economy, it seems to me that Americans aren't feeling the, the effects of interest rate increases quite as much as Australians are for that reason. You know, a lot of you guys have your, your rates locked. You, you're kind of feeling lucky that you have. And, you know, I, I would as well if you locked in low rates, good on you. You know, you did well. Um, but here in Australia, we don't have that. Everybody's feeling the pain. Everybody who's got a mortgage, for the most part, is on a floating rate. So everybody's feeling it together. So, you know, that's 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 a really interesting difference to be thinking about. Yeah, I could imagine. Uh, unfortunate that you can't lock the rate in there. And um, certainly, as you mentioned, here in the U.S., where we're well over 7%, and I think the impact of that starting starting to be felt more now. So uh, a lot of the impacts of the interest rate hikes, obviously, we hear a lot about how there's a lag. And it uh, seems like, especially this year, more so than last year, impacts of that starting to be felt. Uh, on Wednesday, we did have our, our GDP, which a month ago was 2.4% revised down, like a lot of the numbers here, down to 2.1%. Um, and was interesting, the day that initial number came out was when silver was down a dollar about a month ago. Unfortunately, we did not pick that dollar back up on the revision, but in either case um, is how these things go. And we'll continue to see the impacts anyway of these hikes. Uh, one other question I wanted to ask you about from the perspective over there in Australia, what, what's the, the view of gold versus silver? Are people uh, eyeing one versus the other or, or how are Australians looking at that? Yeah, so I suppose the, the key difference there is that gold's obviously done a lot better over the last 20, 30 years kind of thing, whereas silver's... Um, underperformed now of course you know with the ratio where it is at the moment that makes sense to people you know it went from what 30 to 1 or around that in 2011 you know now it's 80 to 1 so you know if everybody who's held silver that time instead of gold they've probably maybe regretted it a little bit um so for those reasons when, when australians talk about gold you know here in australia we've averaged uh, on average around nine percent per year um uh, growth in gold price in Australian dollars. So, you know, that's that's great. Australian investors, you, you can't cry too loudly about 9% a year, um, whereas silver's obviously lagged that. So, uh, yeah, for those reasons, Australian investors, they'll look at gold and they'll they'll see it really positively. They'll, you know, they'll be really kind of proud of the performance, particularly if, if you own a lot of it, you know, you, you think you did really, really well on your gold, um, whereas, it's, yeah, your silver's, your silver's lagged. But that, for, for new buyers today, that means that you get to pick silver up, obviously, at, at quite a discount compared to gold. So, you know, for that reason, for buyers today, silver is quite popular. Yeah. Okay. And in terms of silver, obviously, you're talking with customers all day. You're doing your own research. You're watching different shows. With all the different things that you've seen and heard and obviously that you've studied about silver historically, given where we stand today, what... What do you think it is going to take to drive silver 
out of this 20 to $30 range in the US, obviously higher than the Australian dollar. But do you think it's going to end up being a monetary issue where it comes down to the Fed once they finally lower interest rates? It seems to some degree like QE for a variety of reasons uh, on some level is inevitable again. Or do you think it'll be banking issues? Or is it going to be a matter of some of the supply and demand fundamentals, which you and I talked about a little bit earlier, talked about before on the show. Um, any thoughts on what will change the current range that we've been in? Yeah, so that's, isn't that the million dollar question? So look, there's, there's, there's a few things I see that could drive the price. Now, what ultimately really does... Pounds question? <laughs> yeah, so in, in terms of what could drive the price, look, banking issues, you know, I'm, I'm watching the, the Chinese banking sector quite closely at the moment. They've just cut their reserve ratio requirements for lending. You know, their their real estate is looking quite shaky, to say the least, with this, you know, Evergrande staff, Country Garden, um, that sort of stuff. So I'm watching that closely. I'm also watching the US banking system closely. You know, you guys are having some issues. You've you, your, your banks are in a corner, commercial banks and central banks as well. But yeah, your commercial banks are in a corner where, you know, they've got these 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 long duration, low interest rate assets on their books, you know, low interest rate mortgages, you know, low interest rate bonds, all those rates are locked in, you know, years ago when rates were low. Now they've got to pay these depositors, you know, ever increasing rates of interest to hold on to their deposits. Otherwise, they'll just take them elsewhere, you know, buy some treasuries or something like that. Um, so, you know, for that, for that reason, the U.S. banking system is looking quite shaky as well. Um, so, yeah, that's that's something that could send silver up. Um, I, something I think that people aren't really looking at is inflation expectations. So this is something that's really kind of uh, frustrated me a little bit over the last couple of years. But it's it's been really interesting to watch where the market has seemed to be pricing in that the Fed will, will take control of inflation again, that it will bring it back down. Inflation expectations have remained remarkably low over the last few years. Um, so if if that changes in the market and the market starts to price in more and more inflation in the future, which, I mean, to me, it makes no sense why it's not. You know, inflation has been higher than they've said it would be. They said inflation would be transitory. You know, I'm old enough to remember that. It wasn't. You know, the, the Fed's been wrong. So why the, why the market is continuing to price in low inflation going forward, it just blows my mind. So if that changes, if the market one day all of a sudden decides oh, maybe the central banks don't have control of this, maybe inflation will stay higher for longer and be persistent, then I think that could really move price. And that's that's hard to quantify because it's just it's just what the market thinks. You know, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. It's, it, it's, it's confidence. You know, people talk about banking systems being based on confidence. This is based purely on people's confidence in the Fed's ability to fight inflation in the future. You know, and that's, that's that's not a hard data point. You know, that's not a number that you can quantify. You can sort of, but it, it it's it's not like a you know a, a jobs number or an inflation figure or anything like that. It's just expectations of future inflation. So if that changes, it can move price as well. But there's there's quite a few things. And then and then last, well, you know, the, the, the last point you touched on there as well around the supply and demand. I mean, you know, Silver Institute saying we're having our biggest supply deficits, you know, in in, in Yonks and you know. <laughs> It just makes you think, and, and obviously demand's increasing as well from, from both industry and from investment. So you think, how is this all going to last? Surely price has got to move. And, you know, 
mining mining companies you know they're saying that our costs of production keep increasing you know inflation's running hot materials labor everything's going up but silver price just moves sideways something's got to give is essentially what i'm getting at there and you know what it is that moves price you know probably people probably have arguments about it you know when it does move oh this moved it oh that moved it no it was that that moved it but there's yeah there's there's a few things i see coming that just make me think that it's 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 got to move you know yeah, uh, that does make a lot of sense, uh, especially because we've seen the government inflation numbers come down. Yet a lot of that based on the lower energy prices we had over the last couple months, which already started to go up a bit more. And um, seems like with the current construction of our energy markets that I know there's a lot of people, uh, smart people out there who are quite concerned that that's going to be headed quite a bit higher, which... Mm-hmm. obviously throws a wrench into the uh, inflation busting plans, which we can only imagine how the Fed will attempt to handle that. Although I know you're a student of currencies and something else I was curious to get your opinion on. So we see a lot of the trading um, based on, especially with the metals, the dollars up, usually we're seeing gold and silver down and vice versa. Interesting arrangement we have because that dollar, again, being measured against a bunch of other currencies that are largely following similar policies, uh, the euro and the yen and the pound. I think the British pound, uh, I think, combines for it's either 70 or 81 percent if you mix all three of those in there together. So were, were we measuring in a different way? Perhaps people might be seeing weakness in the dollar more overtly yet. You know, you have it in combination with all these other currencies. Obviously, we've seen issues with the pound in the last year with the Japanese yen. Uh, Curious, again, as you are a currency trader as well, uh, what you see as some of the things to watch for on the horizon there. Yeah, so that's that's a really interesting point to touch on, actually. So it's it's funny. I'm I'm probably going to cop some flack for this from from bullying people, but I actually view trading gold as a currency. Now it's not a fiat currency. Don't jump on me. It, it is money. You know, it holds its value over time, everything like that. But I, I view gold as a currency when I trade it. Um, so some something to, to 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 think about with with trading currencies is, I mean, the currency market. It's got seven and a half trillion dollars turnover per day. It is the deepest and most liquid market in the world. You know, not a lot of people trade currency, but the people that trade currency trade it in massive sizes. You know, the the, the broker I I left a few months ago to start this this bullion dealership up. I mean, I I was talking to the head of dealing there, and you know, he used to trade currency on the banks um, in London. You know, on on the desks, the currency trading desks at the banks in London, and he would trade in the hundreds of millions of dollars of currency every day. You know, it, it's 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 a massive market, and it, it's People, people don't really think about the size of it, I don't think. Um, you know, trade, trading currency, you trade it with massive leverage. You know, here in Australia, we get to trade it with 30 to 1 leverage as, on a retail account. Now, if you qualify for a professional account at one of these brokers, you can trade it with, you know, up to 500 to 1 leverage. So, you know, that means that, you know, if you've got $1,000 in your trading account, you can have up to $500,000 worth of currency exposure in the market. So, you know, I, I really think people don't understand the nature of the currency market sometimes, the leverage of it, the size of it, the daily turnover, the the, the implications for the global economy. You know, it's it's something that most most people don't really look at much. And 
going touching on something you said there as well around different central banks around the world you know the, the bank of japan i've touched on it in a, in a few recent videos i've done you know they're in a corner even worse than than the federal reserve is you know they're they're over 200 percent of their gdp in in national debt you know they've they've been trying this yield curve control policy where they print an unlimited amount of yen out of thin air and use it to buy Japanese government bonds to support that market and you know keep interest rates low so that everything works and they don't default on their debt. The British they've been having issues with their currency, you know, looking quite shaky. The Australians here, so the Aussie dollar at the moment is looking. Um, quite shaky as well our our economy is largely based off exports we we're we're a a resource producer we mine stuff and we sell it to china you know we we, we grow stuff food you know we, we grow food for 80 million people we've only got 25 or 26 here in australia so you know obviously we export the rest so you know our economy is largely based off of export export predominantly to china so you know Looking at China, looking at their real estate, looking at their banking system, the reserve ratio cut that I just mentioned, you know, if China sneezes here, Australia is going to feel it and the Australian dollar is probably going to feel it as well to the downside. So that's another reason to be bullish on the precious metals if you're an Australian. You know, even if precious metals prices move sideways in US dollars, but the Australian dollar drops through the floor, well, then if you're an Australian bullion buyer, it doesn't really matter to you because you're up regardless right it, you know you're, not, you're kind of not stressing too much about why you're making money so for, for those reasons i think currency it's it's very important for people to think about and i think it's 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 interesting to consider gold as a currency when you trade it you know instead of instead of thinking about it as a commodity and, and looking at the commodity space in general which i also do i'm, I'm a commodities bull um I, I i do look at it as as, as a currency not a fiat currency but a currency Okay. And something you mentioned in there about Japan, I'd like to touch on a little more. Obviously, they've been raising that cap on the yield of the Japanese government bonds. At the same time, there's that carry trade that goes on, which I think people have heard of, but perhaps you could explain those two dynamics and how they fit together, uh, especially for people who are not familiar with the Japanese US dollar carry trade. Uh, break down how that works and and how that's impacting things right now. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, so in in currency trading in general, there's there's something called a carry trade. So, um, in in currency trading, you're, you're always trading one currency against another currency. So, you know, it could be you trading the Aussie dollar against the US dollar. In this scenario, you're trading the US dollar against the Japanese yen. And what the carry trade means is that if you get on the right side of this trade, you are being paid to keep your trade open. So. You know, you're collecting money just, you know, as the trade stays open. It doesn't matter what price is doing to an extent you're continuing to get paid. And to step out a little example for you, you know, say that the U.S. has got interest rates at five and a half percent. And, you know, just for easy numbers here, let's say that the Japanese have it at half a percent. Well, there are five percentage points difference between those two numbers. So, you know, if you've got a hundred thousand dollar trade open, you're getting paid 5% of that trade size per year to keep that trade open. So you're essentially collecting $5,000 a year in that scenario just to keep your trade open. Now, that's before, you know, you're looking at where price goes and, you know, making money on, on, on price or losing money. Um, but you, it, the, the, the carry trade separate to that. You're, you're, you're getting paid to hold a trade open, as weird and wacky as it sounds. So what 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 does that mean for the market in general? Um, well, it means that it, it incentivizes people to hop in the trade 
you know, if you're a trader and, you know, you you see the US paying five and a half and Japan's paying half, you're thinking, well, if I if I go long on the US dollar against the Japanese yen, the I'm essentially getting paid the US deposit rate and I'm paying the Japanese deposit rate. So why not? I'll hop in there. I'll make five grand a year on a hundred grand trade, you know, scale up the numbers become bigger as well. Um, you know, why not? And then and then price has moved in in the US dollar's favor against the Japanese yen over time as well. So beyond just the money you're making on the carry trade, you're also making money on price action. So and, and again, you throw in the leverage and all of a sudden it, it becomes a great trade until it unwinds, until it all unwinds. So what do I mean by the unwind? Well, if the Japanese are looking at raising interest rates now when backing away from their yield curve control policy of keeping rates really low so that they don't default on their debt, well, now that that interest rate differential starts to shrink again and that incentivizes people to get out of that trade. So if they all hop out at once, that crashes the US dollar against the Japanese yen. So that's that's really interesting to think about, the potential crash in the US dollar um, against the Japanese yen. From a, from a gold perspective, because we all know the effect of the US dollar on the gold price, a weaker dollar means a higher gold price. So that's an, that's a really interesting way to think about it. Um, but beyond that, there's there's also the the effects of stripping capital from the US financial markets. So the Japanese are some of the biggest savers in the world. They are very fiscally prudent people, you know. So for them, they've got a lot of capital in the US at the moment, getting them a yield that they'd never be able to get in Japan. You know, five and a half percent interest rates. You know, higher yields on other corporate bonds. You know the, the the American stock market's done it's it's outperformed the Australian stock market over the last couple of years to say the least. So you know for those reasons the Japanese have been quite happy to sit their capital in the American stock market. Um, but you know if 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 the Japanese um, financial markets start to give them a better yield and they start to think oh well you know maybe I'll maybe I'll bring some capital home and I'll sit it here in Japan and you know get, get a yield here. Well, that's, as I said, stripping capital from U.S. markets, which it moves price. Yeah, and especially, as you mentioned, very, very levered. So things can move quite forcefully when they do. Uh, Sam, one last one I wanted to ask you about. I heard you mention this in a couple other interviews you did recently where you were talking about the Swiss franc. And you were mentioning the part where they finally let go of that peg to the euro and was quite a gap down on that one stop loss or not you know if you were on the wrong side of that it, it was hurting um perhaps you could touch on that especially because when you mentioned that i was thinking gee isn't that the same peg that they put on in a date that many longer time gold investors probably remember well back in september 6th of 2011 when gold had just crossed 1900 dollars Remember, there was that late night. It was actually Labor Day weekend, which uh, is coming up in a few days now. And that was Labor Day weekend back then where gold over $1,900, gold being looked at as one of the remaining. That was one of those brief periods of time where they were calling it one of the remaining safe havens, along with the franc. The Swiss come out, pegged to the euro, which you would have thought would have been a positive for gold, although we saw gold get pummeled in the middle of the night. And uh, so anything on that peg when they put it on or the removal of it that you could touch on because it certainly is an interesting financial event. Yes, 
it's a fascinating one. Just, just before I get into it, I do want to touch on something you've said there about the Swiss franc being a safe haven. Um, in currency world, the Swiss, the Swiss franc is considered a safe haven and it, and it, it acts as a proxy for gold. Um, something I don't think most people understand about that is that the Swiss have one of the highest uh, gold holdings per capita out of any country in the world, which is one of the reasons that it, it, it gives the Swiss franc its safe haven status. Um, there's other reasons as well, but that's from a gold bugs perspective, that's that's a very important one. Um, but yeah, to, to get on to the actual event itself, so you know the Swiss National Bank, you know back in 2015, um, January 2015, they they had a peg that they were defending against the euro. Um, so you know, up until days before they removed this peg, they were telling the market we're going to keep defending it. You know, it's it, it's all good. And as a trader, as a currency trader, you know when you hear that, you, you think, oh well, if they're going to defend this peg, I'll just trade it. So you know, the, the peg they were defending was one point two, um, the euro against the Swiss franc. So if price came down into that one point two area, you could just place along. The Swiss franc would defend it. It would move up again. You would make money. It was almost a sure thing, until they removed the peg out of nowhere and everybody who was long got without a <laughs> for lack of a better word wrecked you know people who thought they were they were risking one percent of their their um, portfolio or, or, or their trading account on this trade you know they, they had their stop losses set didn't matter the the market moved to where the market moved to and they got filled at where the market moved to and you know that that meant that people had their whole accounts blown up gone gone they thought they were risking one percent the whole account's gone and some of them even owed their brokers money as well on top of that you know so thinking about it from a trader's perspective it was absolutely terrifying you know i i remember back in my days when i was working at um an algorithmic trading firm you know talking to the traders that we worked with there and you know the, the horror stories they were telling me about you know i remember this one of the guys he had to sell his car to, to pay off the 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 amount that he owed the broker so and, and he'd lost his whole account as well, obviously, beyond that. So, you know, thinking about it from a, from a trader's perspective, it, it really gives you an idea as to, you know, black swan events and, and what's possible. But thinking about it from a bullion stacker's perspective is even more interesting, in my opinion, where, you know, this no-brainer trade where uh, it's come back down to 1.2, they're going to defend the peg, just just chuck along on, you know, it's 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 an easy trade. Well, actually, no, it's, it's the worst trade of your life because... What you assume was that the central bank was telling the truth, and in reality, they were lying to you. So that's that's really interesting to think about from a bullion stacker's perspective. Is the central banks around the world they they tell you all sorts of things? You know, we're going to fight inflation, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You know, soft landing, this, you know, all all of that. How much of it's true? And when the market realizes it's not true, what will the effects be? something to think about yeah and certainly an interesting example obviously if you'd been on the other side of that trade would have gone well and reminds me of i believe it was in plywood not lumber may, may have the commodity wrong but i think it was in plywood because back when uh, they had the price controls that nixon put on this was a story from one of those jack swagger books uh, the market wizards guy was talking about how he was short the commodity at the price control limit, but it traded over that one day and he was a little confused by that. And well, fortunately, quickly, he started changing his thinking, well, if they let it trade a little bit over, could it trade higher than that? And fortunately, reversed his position and then it shot a lot higher once the price control was removed. So again, it seems safe, 
until the central banks change the rules. So have to watch out for that and some good lessons to learn from and glad you made it out of that in one piece. And um, it lo looks Absolutely. like you had another comment on that one. Yeah, yeah. Well, some, something I really want to touch on there that you, you, you just said is that if you were on the other side of that trade, you would have done really well. And that's 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 absolutely true. If you were short on that currency pair instead of long, you would have collected all these losses that other people had. You know, you would have been, <laughs> you would have done really well out of that. But just to imagine that as a trader for a second, the mindset that you would have had to been in to take that trade, you know, you would have had to short it where the central bank was saying, we're going to defend it. You would have had to, as a trader, have gotten into the mindset that I am going to fight the Swiss National Bank. Now, in trading in general, there is a saying, don't fight the Fed. Why? Because they print money out of thin air. What are you going to do? You know, how are you going to fight that? But in this scenario, the way that you would have made lots and lots and lots of money is by calling out the SNB's lie, the Swiss National Bank's lie. You would have had to say, I know this pegs here. I don't care. I'm going to short it anyway. Let's wait and see what happens. And as a trader, that is a serious contrarian trade. You would have been laughed out of the room in most trading houses for that trade, but it would have made a lot of money. Well, I have a feeling in the next couple of years, we'll probably see some wild situations, not all that dissimilar to that, which again, by all means, is not trading advice. Uh, do not go mm -hmm. and fight your central yes. banks unless you, on your own time, think it's a wise idea to do so, although... Again, though, when you can sense when I mean, it's kind of like the, the Japanese weren't going to let the yield on the bond rise until they changed their mind and decided to let the yield on the bond rise. So uh, just interesting things that are happening out there. And Sam, before we wrap up, could you let folks know uh, about what you and John are doing over there and tell them about the new bullion store? Yeah, so so John and I, we've, we've partnered together to launch Adams Bullion. Um, so John Adams, Adams Bullion. Um, the idea is that we're Australia's most politically active bullion dealer. Um, so, of course, you, you're welcome to do business with anybody you like. Australia has lots of great bullion dealers, but we are Australia's most politically active. If you'd like to do business with somebody who is actively campaigning for your financial liberties, um, for your civil liberties, et cetera. Well, my business partner, John, he fought the cash ban here in Australia. So back in 2020, the government tried to make any transaction in cash over $10,000 illegal and punishable by jail. So he fought that. He fought for our financial freedoms. I'm very grateful that he did so because now I get to transact in cash over 10000 without going to jail. Um, and that's the whole ethos of our business is that obviously I'm a stacker. I believe in this thesis about gold and silver. I want to help people protect themselves from what I see coming. Um, John's the exact same, of course, as well. So no-brainer business idea. Let's start a bullion dealer up together. Let's help people, you know, get access to, to great financial assets at, at great prices, of course, that, that, that we see. Um, and that's exactly what we've done. So, you know, if you're an Australian and, and you're looking to get some bullion, by all means, reach out. You know, you can call the number on our website. You can email in, um, whatever you'd like to do. Uh, I'd love to have a chat with you. And yeah, that's 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 what we're doing together. Australia's most politically active bullion dealer. And I'm, I'm very proud to do so. You know, I've, I've, I've been a fan of yours. I've been a fan of John's for years. So starting this up with John, it's it's a dream come true for me. Yeah. Yeah. And actually, as I noticed, I see you got $3,000 gold there too. So, I mean, geez, we're, <laughs> we got we to gotta yes. get some of that pricing over here. Although uh, at what drew my eye to that, I see that you guys have storage here as well. So 
perhaps if uh, there are people in the U.S. or Canada or elsewhere that are looking to diversify their storage, that is something you guys offer? Yes. Yeah, so what we've done is we've actually partnered with the Melbourne Vault, which which you can see there on the page. So the Melbourne Vault is a, a company here in Melbourne. It's in the same building that I'm in right now. It's down in the basement. Um, it's essentially an old bank vault from the 1970s. It's got a massive four-ton vault door, biometric security, everything like that. Um, and the beauty is, is that only you have access to your storage box there. So, you know, for people who are concerned about counterparty risk, it's it's a really great option. It's where John stores his silver himself. Um, so, you know, for those reasons, we recommend look, the Melbourne Vault if you're looking for a storage solution. And, you know, like you mentioned, for Americans who are potentially looking to uh, remove some jurisdiction risk, well, that's an, that's an option for them as well. Yeah. Well, I like that. There you go. Store your silver next to John Adams silver is uh, actually nice to think about. And yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to leave this up even after we wrap up. So I can imagine $3,000 gold, $38 silver, $3,000 gold, 38 silver. Um, yes. One, yes. one day well, soon enough here in the U S too. So it's funny you say that, you know, here, here, if you look at the US dollar gold price, you know, where are we at at the moment around 1940? You know, that's not too far off where it hit in 2011. In Australia, we have just had a continuous upwards climb. Yes, there's been little dips along the way, of course, but it has been continuously upwards. So, you know, $3,000 an ounce, we crossed that last night. Um, in Australian dollars, we have crossed it before a few months ago, but we're back again now. Um, so very, very exciting to be an Australian precious metal stacker. You know, the the... The Australian dollar is dropping through the floor. So for that reason, you know, gold and silver are acting as great currencies at the moment for us. Yeah. Well, and certainly nice to hear because I think that's the main reason that people get into gold and silver and perhaps in a mixed part of that cycle here in U.S. pricing. But glad that you guys are feeling the protection there and I think we'll have that soon enough here in the U.S. So Mm -hmm. Either case, Sam, sure appreciate you making some time. Thanks for doing this and uh, shedding some light on the markets. Also, what you and John are doing. I know a lot of people, myself included, really appreciate the things that he's done and that you're helping him with now. So you stay in touch, my friend, and we'll have to do this again soon. Hopefully, uh, I'll, we'll, we'll plan it now, especially the day we get our $3,000 gold and $38 silver. We'll have you on, although hopefully well before then as well and uh best of luck with the new venture i have a feeling you guys are going to do great thanks chris it's been a pleasure to be with you today looking forward to coming on again in the future of course as well and uh yeah best of luck to yourself as well and everything and yeah we'll, we'll speak soon